My name is Johnny Whitcomb. I am the next generation pastor here at Genesis in Petoskey, and it is my pleasure to open God's Word with you this morning. We are going to be in Mark chapter 5 today. Mark chapter 5, so if you've got a copy of God's Word either on your phone or like a physical book, you can start turning there right now. We're also going to have it on the screens. If you don't have a Bible, you'd like one. There are journey Bibles on the seats around you. It's going to be on 1288 in that Bible, Mark chapter 5. And while you turn there, let me fill you in on where we have been in our series so far. We are coming back to real Jesus, the God you don't expect. And we're asking this question over and over again, who is the real Jesus? And this question has captured the minds of people throughout history. Who is Jesus? Is he a hippie? Is he a revolutionary? Is he um, a socialist? Is he a Republican? What kind of man is Jesus Christ? And that question has captured the minds of people throughout time. But I think that in the passage that we see today, Jesus seeks to call out to the captured to the people who are spiritually bound and call them to freedom. So if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's word, I'm going to title today's message, Jesus, a cure for the captured. Jesus, a cure for the captured. And you guys, please follow along as I read out loud. We've got 20 verses to get through, so it's going to take a minute, but I promise you we'll get through it. It says, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains and broke apart the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large, herd of, a large herd of pigs was feeding on a hill, uh, nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us into the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported in the town and countryside what had happened. Um, And the people came out to see what had happened. When they came to see Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the people in the Decapolis about what Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever been captured? Have you ever been contained? 
Have you ever been taken hostage? When I think about that question, I think about a game that is not capture the flag. I want to be very clear. I've already done one capture the flag illustration in church in the last year. And so as a youth pastor, it'd be very youth pastor of me to use another capture the flag illustration. I'm not going to. I play a game at Lake Ann Camp that is not capture the flag, but you do have a boundary and you run across and you try to get batons from the other side and bring them back to your side without getting tagged, but it's not capture the flag. It's a different game. Okay? It's capture the baton. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. This game, Lake Ann Camp, great Christian camp south of Traverse City. We take our, our middle schoolers there. It's a wild time. It's a fun time. We play this game, not capture the flag. And one of the things that I think Lake Ann does really well is in capture the flag, um, tagging people, that's open to interpretation. And especially in middle school, this can cause a lot of, let's say, tension. It's like, I tagged you. No, you didn't. I tagged you. Not yet. That was just my shirt. That doesn't count. It's like, does a shirt sleeve count or doesn't a shirt sleeve count? If I brush your hair as you zoom by, are you tagged or aren't you? Well, Lake Ann Camp came up with a brilliant um, solution to this problem. They had everybody put a stocking on their head. So then you pull the stocking off somebody's head, and it's like, was I tagged or wasn't I? Well, do you have a stocking in your hand or not, right? Let's throw the picture up, Brian. Now's the time. Yeah. That's me and my stocking. Still handsome. And... um, and so we were playing this game, and it was awesome, and I loved it. And we were running around with middle schoolers, and I had a stocking on my head looking ridiculous. And, and I ran across to the other side into the enemy territory where I could get tagged or the stocking could be taken off my head. And I saw uh, a youth leader that I had met that weekend um, from Grand Rapids, and he was waiting for me. He was waiting to tag me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm going to get tagged. Like, I can't backpedal fast enough to get away from this guy. And, and he reached for my stocking. And at that moment, I realized that it wasn't just him touching me that got me out. He actually had to take the stocking off my head. And so he was reaching for the stocking. And I remember, like, it was instinct. I just went, Wah! and I brushed his hand away. And he looked at me. He goes, what was that? And I was like, I don't know. And he goes, and he reaches for it again. And I, like, Mr. Miyagi again. I'm like, No. And it's like, I was the first, like, man who discovered fire. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, like, you can't get, and I knew I was stronger than him. I knew I was taller than him. I knew he wasn't getting to my stocking, and I was having fun jumping up and down. It was like two grown men jumping up and down, trying to grab the stocking off my head. And, and, and it was a lot of fun until somebody came up behind me, <laughs> yanked it off. And I was captured by an unseen force. That's what we're talking about today, being captured by an unseen force. Force. And when you think about that, what do you think of? Do you think about um, marketers who you never meet these marketers, but they come up with the catchy use of jingles that worm their way into your head, and you're like, where did I hear that song before? In a J.C. Penney commercial. Or think about political slogans. Think about um, there are advisors and people in think tanks that get paid big money to come up with um, these slogans that encapsulate kind of the struggles of our nation, and they want to get you on their side of things. When I think about being captured by unseen spiritual forces, I think about family gatherings where aunts and moms conspire in the kitchen for all the single people at that family gathering. Like, oh, there's a cute guy. He's an intern in my office. Maybe you can set up. Trying to capture you. Unseen spiritual forces are trying to capture us. And that's what the Bible details out. In God's creation... God created spiritual beings, heavenly messengers, a divine counsel to assist him in carrying out his will in our world. This is what we call angels. 
But the Bible also details out that some of these angels rebelled against God. Led by Satan, they went their own way apart from God and his purposes in the world. And when I want to draw us away from him as well, we're talking about demons. And this is something that maybe some of you are like, I'm not prepared, Johnny, to talk about demons today. I get it. Because I think oftentimes when it comes to spiritual warfare, when it comes to the demonic, there are two camps that people fall into as Christians, as Christ followers. There are people who fixate on the enemy, and there are people who ignore the enemy. It's like that, that game of not capture the flag. There are some people like me who are running around in the enemy territory like, woohoo, this is fun, I love it, not knowing that there's somebody trying to capture them. And there are other people in that game of not capture the flag who will never cross that line out of fear and a fixation that there is an enemy out there or out of a sense that they don't really want to run the mission that God has given to them. Do you hear what I'm saying? We can either fixate on the enemy or we can ignore the enemy. And I want to address both of these right off the bat. Number one, people who see demons and spiritual warfare everywhere, I think oftentimes are giving our enemy too much credit in our lives. And these are people who will, any head cold, any bad attitude that a, that a child wakes up with, they are trying to pray out a demon, okay? And this is, this is real. And, and I think when you think about that, you need to think about the language that the Old Testament uses when it comes to um, sanctification. Because I think a lot of times we are giving the devil too much credit. He's not everywhere all at once. And oftentimes when we say that everything is demonic, it can sometimes negate our personal responsibility to run the race that God has in front of us. So hear me out. In the language of the New Testament, when there is disunity in the church, Paul doesn't write to the church and say, hey, just cast out that spirit of disunity. What he says is work hard to bear with one another, even in your hardships. Remain united and work hard to do that. When Peter writes to the New Testament church, and they're trying to select leaders in the New Testament church, people to guide and to govern this new community, He doesn't say, just cast out a spirit of bad leadership. What he does is he says, work hard to present yourselves as qualified. Develop over time those qualities of leadership that we want to see in you. Work at it. Don't use the demonic as an excuse for not doing the work that God has for you, running the mission that he's placed in front of you. When it comes to Paul writing to husbands, he doesn't say, just wives, pray that demon out of your husband of of bad husbandry. Don't do that. And husbands, don't do the same for wives. Don't do it. You got a demon in you, honey. No. He says, sacrifice. Live as a sacrifice on behalf of your wife, as Christ did for the church, so you do for her. And so we cannot ever win this war against demonic influence by fixating on the enemy. We can't do it that way. The other thing that we can't do is we can't ignore the enemy. This is something that I think people also do. And quite frankly, if I can be honest, if I can be transparent, this is probably the camp that I more often fall into. And here's the thing about this. Don't think that unsettled sin, pet habits, or unsurrendered areas in your life that have not been given over to God, don't think that those areas don't have natural spiritual consequences. Spiritual warfare is real. And in the story in Mark chapter 5, we see this reality. We see the aftermath of a life that has been decimated by Satan. Not in the man. He's delivered. But in the pigs. 
Okay? Because the pigs are a picture of what Satan wants for all of our lives. As Jesus frees this man, he gives a picture of where his life was headed to mutually assured self-destruction. Do not ignore your soul. Do not neglect to pay attention to the things that draw your spirit. They can suddenly and violently lead to your downfall. And this is what the demonic want in our lives. They want the opposite of what God wants. They want the opposite of God. They don't want you to contort your body and barf up black ooze like in a horror movie. They're not there for jump scares. Uh, They're not there to trick you with rock music or energy drinks. I've seen some YouTube videos that are pretty funny. They just want the opposite of what God wants. Let me elaborate. Let me go deeper. God wants us to live an abundant life. Demons will always lead us unto death. God wants us to have hope. Demons want us to despair. God wants us to live in wonderful, life-giving community. Demons want to lead us into isolation and loneliness. God wants freedom, truth, and unity. Demons want captivity, confusion, and lies, and disorder and chaos. God wants us to learn and be wise. Demons want us trapped in folly and blindness. Demons want to capture us with tricks. God wants to lay out a wonderful plan and call us to his purposes and his future in our lives. This is the game plan for the demonic world. Whatever God wants... Satan and his demons are opposed to it, and they want the opposite. So how do they accomplish this? How do they get this done in our lives? They offer us something. What do they offer the man in the story? What do they offer the man in Mark chapter 5? They offer him incredible strength. Demons don't just take. They offer us a solution. No one could bind this man. No one could chain him or contain him. On earth. But in the spiritual realm, he was relentlessly bound. This is what this looks like in our lives. Demons capitalize and gain footholds into our lives by exploiting what our sinful flesh desires. Demons capitalize on exploiting what our sinful flesh leans on for strength, for comfort, for solutions, for importance, for belonging, for meaning. This is what they want us to to go to rather than God himself. So let me elaborate on how the Bible unpacks this. In the writings of the New Testament, we see in Ephesians chapter 4 that that anger can lead to a stronghold for Satan. If you, in your anger, in the emotion of anger, you sin, it can lead to a stronghold for Satan in your life. And I know people like this. I know people that will brag. It's like they're proud of being the Incredible Hulk. I was waiting in line at the grocery store, and the person in front of me couldn't get their act together, so I just snapped, and I got my way. Or or when I lose my temper, watch out, because I'll get things done. I'll get things done when I lose my temper. I'll show you who's the boss. I know people who brag about it, who brag about losing their temper, losing their cool, and using it to abuse and manipulate people around them. The Bible offers us a warning. In your anger, do not sin because you are creating a foothold for the devil. Here's another one. In Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about sex and sensuality. It talks about sexuality and how the devil can use this as a foothold into our lives. It says, if you are living for the pleasures of the world, if you are not submitting this area of your life to God's perfect plan for you, 
Just know you can be ruled over by the prince of the air. And that in itself is a warning. That's talking about Satan, but it's talking about his kingdom, which is you're basing your life on something that is ephemeral, that will not last, that will not survive the coming age. Don't build your life on something that can get taken away from you. And maybe you're somebody who you're feeling really good about this because it's like, I'm not angry. I'm not somebody who's, who's really lustful, Johnny. I'm doing good. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 talks about people who like esoteric knowledge. Did I say that right, Scott? Esoteric. Hello. I was practicing that this morning. Esoteric knowledge. Listen, people who pride themselves in being especially spiritual and going above and beyond what God asks them to do. People who don't trust in the grace of God but trust in their good works. 1 Timothy 4 gives you a warning, church. You could be following after the teachings of of demons. Do you see the trades taking place? They offer you something that your sinful flesh would like to lean on. And when you take the bait, they capitalize on it. In the Old Testament, it's even more explicit. There would be gods of harvest and gods of fertility. These are false idols, and they would have demons behind them, the Old Testament says. And so the people would offer a little bit of grain, a little bit of a drink offering, maybe an animal sacrifice on these altars to these foreign gods. And, and they would get their harvest. They would, they would get fertile fields. It would be great. They'd have kids. It's awesome. But then if a blight came or a famine came, they were bound to these idols. They were bound to these false gods being controlled by demons. And it got so bad that repeatedly in the Old Testament, the people who were bound would go to that idol, bringing that idol the very thing that they first sought to save. They went to the idol to protect their family, to give their family food to eat, and now they are willing to sacrifice their sons and daughters on this idol, uh, idol altar. And so do you see the trade taking place? It takes place in our world today. This man was endowed with incredible strength. No one could control him. What a gift. Invincibility. Uncontainable. The solution to everything life threw at him. Awe-inspiring, undefeatable. The question that I want to ask you is what makes you feel like that in life? What makes you feel undefeatable? Maybe it's your job. Maybe you're really, really good at it. Maybe it's money or talent or a secret substance that you partake in at the end of the day. Maybe it's your appearance. Maybe it's your good reputation or your intelligence. Maybe it's a person or a community that seems to get you and understand you and give you belonging like no one else. I would say whatever you fill in for that blank, what makes me feel unstoppable? Whatever you fill in in that blank, pay close attention because even those good things, even if it's a good thing, Satan would love to have you fall in love with something that is less than God. And then the trap is set and they strike and they've got your stocking. And they took everything from this man. He had incredible strength, but he was alone in it. He had incredible strength, but he was a tortured terror living among the hills alone. His community was taken, his livelihood was taken, and he was alone with this incredible strength that the demons offered him and the despair and the hopelessness. And the hopelessness. Because here's the thing. Those things that you trust in, those things that you look to for purpose, safety, meaning, they can fail. And when they fail, Satan will love to flood you with guilt, with shame, with isolation, with loneliness, with regret that leaves you in that place of hopeless despair that we find this man in here. I'm alone, I'm hopeless, I'm lost. 
I love that job. I live for that job. That job was who I was until I lost it. I love that sport. That sport was awesome. That sport is who I am until the tear. I loved to be the life of the party. I loved to live for the next big thing until I saw those blue lights flashing in my rearview mirror. That is where the devil wants to take us. So how can we know? How can we spot the lies of the enemy, the schemes and the influence of the demonic in our life when they come our way? The solution is far more simple than I think the devil would like us to believe. We can find it in James chapter 4, verse 7. It's one simple sentence. This is what the Bible says. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Living in lockstep with God, submitting to his plan for your life and not your own, is the best way out of spiritual bondage. And notice the contrast between how God works and how demons work. Again, they want to trick and deceive and scheme to capture you. God is real clear. He is going to call you out with a purpose for your life that you get to willingly submit to his plan. And you see this language in Mark chapter 5. When it comes to the demonic, Jesus is our solution. It says, well, Jesus was still a long ways off. When he was far off in the distance, the man with the affliction saw him and came to him, and he bowed before him. That bowing language is the language of submission. Even as he's afflicted, the, the process of call and submission to call is being initiated. And recognize that when you're handing your life over to Jesus, you're not handing your life over to a good set of ethics, good moral teaching, seven, seven steps to a more productive you. You know, this is what sometimes it's like, yeah, I need a little bit of Jesus in my life. No, when you hand your life over to Jesus, you are handing your life over to God himself. In the language of Mark chapter 5, the Son of the Most High God. That's who Jesus is. He's the son of the most high God. And this is important. The demon recognizes this. The demon recognizes that when it comes to Jesus, it is not a fair fight. And it falls down begging Jesus. Don't torment me because Jesus is awesome and Jesus is powerful and Jesus is more than a friend. He is the majesty of God incarnate in the world today. We can see him. Do you recognize the glorious, awe-inspiring goodness of Jesus Christ? Do you bow down in awestruck wonder at the terrible magnitude of his might. This is what the demon does. Do you recognize that? That Jesus is our first and final hope. In my own life, when I think about this, I can think like, oftentimes, that's a pure knowledge. It's in my head that Jesus is that rescuer. Jesus is for us. But it's hard for me to get that head knowledge to make an emotional impact in my heart. I don't know if you're like me, but it's hard to connect what I hear with what I feel. And something that I find is really, really helpful in my own life is to read the Psalms. These are poems in the Bible that describe the emotional breadth of the human experience. And there is some really powerful imagery in the Psalms of who God is. And so I just want to read to you a little bit of one of my absolute favorite Psalms, Psalm 18, which describes God and his awesome power as our rescuer and deliverer. So just, if you can, try to let these words connect, not just with your head, but with your heart, as I read them. It says, I love you, Lord 
my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the the Lord who is worthy of praise. I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me and the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. This is when it gets really metal, so I'm going to try to keep it together. It says, The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains were shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of him. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky, out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys and the sea were exposed, and the foundations of the earth were laid bare at your rebuke, Lord, the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in my day of disaster, but the Lord was my support. This is the language that the Bible uses to describe the awesome power of God, the one to whom we are called to submit our lives. And in Mark chapter 5, we see a man who is delivered, brought back into his right mind and clothed again when he meets Jesus. And he's willing to give up everything to follow after Jesus, but this is Jesus' command for his life. He says, go and tell people about the mercy of the Lord and everything he has done for you. How do we avoid capture by unseen spiritual forces working to enslave our soul? We don't dwell on the enemy. We don't fixate on it. We don't pretend it doesn't exist and ignore the enemy. We submit ourselves humbly to our powerful, terrible, awesome God. We submit ourselves, resist the devil, and he will flee. So how do we do this? What does this look like in our lives? I just want to give you three next steps as we close out our time together. As we behold our awesome God, I want to give you three things to consider enacting in your life to live this out Monday through Friday for the rest of our week. These are our next steps. Number one, take a careful stock of your life. Take stock of your life, that's right. What are the seemingly insignificant things in your life that are seeking to draw you away from God? And I think in the story of Mark chapter 5, the owners of the pigs are actually a really good illustration. The surrounding community is a really good illustration of this. Because understand, there's a certain amount of irony in the text that the man who is very obviously afflicted by demons is delivered by Jesus. But the people who have their comfort challenged, the people who have um, a portion of their livelihood challenged, these people are the ones who are rejecting Jesus. No, I want to be comfortable. I want my life to stay the same. 
Satan would love for you to be comfortable and unaware of how he's sowing seeds of rebellion in your heart. What are the even minute areas of your life that need to be submitted over to God? Is it your well-laid plans for your future? Is it the way that you interact with people in relationships? What is it that God wants you to surrender over to him? Take stock of your life. Examine that. Number two, take a step into community. It is no accident, thank you, Zach, for coming on up. It is no accident that the demon led this man into the lonely place, into the place of death. He was alone among the hills and the graves, and there he tore and beat himself day and night. Satan wants you to be isolated. Satan wants you to be alone. And when Jesus restores this man to his right mind, he sends him back into his community to share what God has done. Understand that this is a picture of what we need in our lives in order to do spiritual warfare. We need people to pray with. We need people to praise with. We need people to say, look at what God has done in my life. We need people to say, this is who I am. This is what I am struggling with. This is who I am and where I need help. Can you hold me accountable? Can you, can you help me become who Jesus wants me to be? We need community. And as a church, that's why we don't just want people to be spectators here. We want people to be invested in the cause of Christ. We want people to be growing in their faith together. So take a step into community. If you want to know more about the communities at Genesis Church, if you are an elementary school student, a middle school student, a high school student, if you're in college, if you're a retiree, if you want to know more about our communities, please text Genesis. We would love you to take this step into community. And last but not least, the last thing that I think we need to do as Christians is take a worshipful look at Jesus. Again, pretending demons don't exist or fixating on them, that is not the answer. The answer is look to Jesus. Recognize the goodness and the mercy and power of God. He is our only ultimate deliverance. And something that I find is really helpful in this process in my life is something that I've actually learned here at Genesis Church um, to enact. And it's, it's a posture prayer. We're talking about submission to God. Oftentimes, again, I can take it as an emotion when I'm listening to worship music. Or I can take that as an intellectual thing when I'm reading my Bible. But to connect my mind, my body, and my heart together, I think something that is really helpful is to bow down on your knees. And I know there's leadership at Genesis Church that does this weekly, bows down on their knees to pray to God. And you are embodying that submission to your Lord. So I would encourage you, if you've never prayed a posture prayer, if you've never um, tried bowing down before the Lord, take some time in quiet, alone this week, and, and just spend some time with God in prayer. Worship Him recognize the magnitude of who he is read psalms if you want to connect your head and your heart and your body together what would it look like genesis if we submitted to god wholly with all of our lives as a community if we were people who um, literally and spiritually bended our knee to our lord and savior how would that change the way we live how would that change the way that we navigate in the world how would that change the way um, that we interact with sin if we saw god as good and glorious and powerful over our stories satan would flee the bible promises that 
Let us do that, Genesis. Let us worship our Lord and Savior and submit to him our whole lives. Will you stand with me as we praise God and surrender all one last time? Father God, we pray that we surrender all to you. God, I am not ignorant. There are people in here who are struggling to surrender all, that are wrestling with sin, with hardship, with brokenness in their lives. God, these songs, my words can't help them. Only Jesus can. So God, I just pray that your spirit move mightily in this place. That you would comfort the wounded. That you would convict, poke at the comfortable. That you would encourage the downtrodden in this place. God, do what only you can, which is allow us to leave here different than how we came in. More in love with you, following after your plan for our lives, submitting wholly to your call, God. That is our vision of who we are as a church. May we do that this week. May we love you. May we speak of you. May we care for the people around us out of an outflow of the love and grace that you have shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. That's the prayer for this church, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Genesis, you can go in the peace and the love and the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Take care.